he's freaking Spider-Man. There were curse words and a lot of fighting. It was awesome. Okay, good plan, I guess. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Geek Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Yes, it is. My name is Brian. I'm Byrne. And I'm Aaron. We are a sci-fi geek gaming podcast that covers all that stuff. And you can find us on the web at geekquorum.com and galacticquorum.com. Also, look for us on Facebook. Follow us. Make sure you're running your news feed, etc., etc. You can also email us at gquorum.gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And we still have a legacy phone number that's been around for years. I don't even assume it works. It's 301-358-5175. So, oh, and you can also follow us on that new app that we've been, uh, we have been using called Talk Show. So you can follow our conversation as we talk about the show we're going to do, we did, and other topics that we throw back and forth. So it's like a behind the scenes. Yeah, it's uh, a public chat. How do you describe it, Vern? Um, yeah, it's forum? like a public group chat. You mean like a forum? Kind of. So it was created by the former VP of product of Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the idea was they want to take these private chats that usually take place among friends and make them public. So the idea is basically you start a talk show, and then there are hosts, and only the hosts are allowed to type messages, and then the audience can react to what's going on. So they have this whole kind okay. of meta, meta language about reacting. Okay, um, okay. So a uh, quick introduction should be in Aaron. Aaron, you've not been on this podcast before. I've been uh, happy to guest on your podcast before. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and... Well, I'm a graphic designer geek here in Los Angeles, California. I work at CBS doing um, graphic des- motion graphic design for all the trailers and stuff. So if you watch CBS uh, and you see any of the trailers for the shows, you see my work. But I'm a big nerdy geek, been that way since birth. And um, about 11 years ago, I heard of a thing called uh, a podcast from maybe Leo Laporte. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. And I think at that time, Board Game Geek had a podcast. So it was, there was only like four or 500 of them listed on uh, something that was called Podcast Alley. It was one of the only places you could find a list of podcasts. And n- almost none of them are still there. But I figured out how to you had to write the RSS feed yourself and learn that. And we put up our first podcast called Geeks On!, about 11 years ago and we were going really well for like eight years <laughs> yep i know how that feels <laughs> and then life started you know started getting in the way and so we had that podcast fade although i'll have to say eight years into it we had podcast fade and that's a pretty good run mm-hmm. and it just got harder and harder and harder uh, the way we were doing it uh which was getting everybody together in the same room and you know we had four people almost all the time and they were very long episodes we broke them down to into uh, segments but you know it took like a, a big chunk of our time so i've been i've rebooted the whole thing um you can find geeks on on itunes i'm kind of slowly integrating it back in uh work on the website next it's just you know a pain in the butt everything's a pain in the butt mm-hmm. everything's work yep 
Uh, but I'm rebooting it, trying to get some uh, more episodes, but smaller episodes using you know Skype instead of having to get everybody in the same room and getting a lot of different people in. So I'm trying to just have more people on the show uh, with different ideas, point of views, and we just talk everything. Well, it's uh, it's very much like this show. Yep. You know, we we go through things we've done through the week that's geeky. In fact, I've got some stuff to tell you about tonight, and then we pick a big uh, topic and you know talk it to death, and then we end the show. It's fun. It's a you know these type of podcasts. I think it's it's a great idea to express yourself, and I really really believe in everybody contributing mm-hmm. to the uh, well, not just the geek lifestyle, but just humanity. You know, do something, contribute. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, leave a penny, take a penny. If you're going to listen to other people's podcasts, uh, you know, start a blog or. Uh, do a YouTube video. I mean, just one, um, but that just adds uh, something for us all to uh, to engage in. So, my rant's over. <laughs> well, it's great to have you with us tonight. I'm um, looking at the, some of the topics we have. Um, so, let's see. Um, this is something that occurred to me when we were talking about the new talk show app and just apps in general and the things they're looking for metrics wise. I saw this article a couple weeks ago that said. Uber, they claim they don't do this, but they could charge you more if your phone has low battery. The thinking being, if you have low battery, you're like, well, I'll take anything, so I'm going to, before it dies, and I'm going to take it. The thing that jumped out to me is, I mean, I should have expected this, but I cannot believe the amount of data that is just shared over all the apps that we use, and among them, stuff like your current battery state. I'm like, Oh my god, I just Okay. We are this is, data this is mined actually, up the <laughs> This is a great segue and on topic because if we're gonna talk about podcasts, I was turned on to a podcast this week, and the fact that you mentioned this is serendipitous. The podcast I wanna pimp is Hidden Brain. It's published by NPR. The host whose last name I'm totally gonna murder is um his first name is Shankar and his last name is uh, Vedantam, I believe. I don't know how to describe the podcast other than it's kind of of that genre of kind of a deep dive into a topic with a uh, a bent towards storytelling. And the reason mm-hmm. why I bring it up is this week, in fact, just today, I finished listening to episode 31, which is Your Brain on Uber. Mm. And it interviews Uber's head of economic research. His name is Keith Chen, and he talks a lot about the psychology behind surge pricing and the stats and the data they collect to help guide and that guides and governs the algorithms that determine how much you pay at any given time. And one of the things they mentioned, which is very interesting, and they did not say that they do anything about this, but they mentioned exactly what you just said, that they noticed that the booking rate, when surge pricing is going on, they noticed that there is a general decline in demand for services because people who use Uber are price sensitive. But what they noticed as an exception to that rule is people whose batteries are running out. So people whose batteries are 5% or lower are more likely to book Uber during surge pricing than any other segment. Right, because they're not going to go over to Lyft and waste (laughs) another 5% trying to get another car. Right. That's exactly right. But it's a great podcast because it talks exactly about that is all the data that these services collect about people and all of the intelligence they're able to glean from from people's uh, behavior and activity online. Well, first of all, I'm a big supporter of privacy. I mean, I think it's it's a 
something that we're squandering more and more and more every year. But everything in life has a price. Everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're starting to expect services for free. I mean, if you if you think about the stuff that we get online, Facebook just alone or emails, email services, or mapping systems that you're not paying a single dime for out of your pocket. It's pretty amazing what you're getting. The cost of that is your information. So if you don't like it, you could find maybe another service that costs something different, which might be your money. But eh, I think most of us are okay with giving up how much battery life information on our phone for cheaper car service. Because whether you like Uber or not, I mean, Uber, as far as its company goes, they sound like awful people. Like the guy, the owner of that company is nuts. But you can't say that that company hasn't changed the world, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I use freaking Uber all the time because I still can't believe the, <laughs> the prices I pay when I call a car. It's like mm-hmm. almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And I know that... I'm part of a a big mechanism, a calculation of those prices. They might be making only pennies, but pennies times a million is a lot of money. They need to squeak out every 20, you know, 25 cents more for me multiplied by all of their clients on certain times, battery, this location, that, you know, how many, I mean, I'm sure that they have a whole make uh, matrix on what to charge me. The reality is I'm getting a cheaper price. So it's one of these, you know, you kind of cringe when you hear things like, you know, they can, they can track your uh, battery, you know, their, your battery life. That's a little creepy. There is a cringe factor there that I get too. As far as that being the price of what I'm getting, I think that at least is worth it. Yeah. I don't generally have a problem with it either. And I don't mind that they know my battery level. It is just something I'm surprised by. I Like that level that they would look into, which I guess doesn't surprise me actually now that I know it, because that's something that you want to fit into whatever they're working out algorithmically or something. But the thing is that it, it it makes me wonder as more and more things are tied into our phones and our devices, like like a, like an iWatch or whatever, you know, biometrically, where does that line ever get drawn where they know mm-hmm. your heart rate or, you know, you know, whatever it is that, you know, they're, they're going to know more and more about you. And I, I'm just surprised that the level of data that's squirted across is you just tap that little button that says, can you find me a driver? Uh, it's Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth is that line you talked about, I think that line was drawn a long time ago, and we crossed it, and we never yeah. yeah. And if you listen to um, – I, I, I love on HBO Vice. They mm-hmm. recently had a whole episode with uh, Edward Snowden. And if you've ever listened to Edward Snowden kind of talk about just how much information is is collected about people by whether it's the services we use every day or whether it's our phones or whether it's the government. There is literally no limit now to the information that's collected. Mm-hmm. And there's, you, can, you can look at this at both sides. Like on the subject of Uber, like why would they collect all of that information like battery life? Well, the fact that they can correlate one's willingness to buy to battery life is a huge insight. And when you're operating a product at scale like that, you're talking about engineers and product marketers who are literally dealing with 
tenths of a percentage point. So if they can increase a metric by a tenth of a percentage point, they can equate that to potentially millions of dollars in revenue. And that's the kind of scale at which these companies are operating at. And data is essential to them being able to build and unoptimized products. Well, it's also amazing that because they're getting so many people's data that this emergent like it's it's almost like emergent data. Like who would have guessed that battery life was an important uh, data point? Or you know, who knows? They may find out just by poll, essentially polling so many people that it takes three minutes more per ride if you pick somebody up in the middle of the block as you do at the corner of a block. These are things you may not have ever thought of, but because they have so much data, they can see a chart with a little bump. They compare that with another bump. They see why, you know, why they cross. They go, oh, time equals where on the block he gets picked up. Let's charge 10 more cents. Hmm. Yeah. You would have maybe never thought to have looked at that data. But because these overlays of charts, overlay after overlay, and they find which ones match up, and they see, hmm, I wonder if those could be related. Suddenly, you go, what? Battery life? That has something to do with our company? It's weird. You're like, I would have never thought that that would even be an interesting piece of data for a cab company. Yeah. Well, from a design standpoint, um, Aaron, do you know of Jared Spool? No. Jared Spool is the head of user interface engineering. Um, I believe he's based out of L.A., but doesn't matter. He is a tremendous speaker. And he speaks on a wide variety of subjects, but one of the topics he's given, it's very kind of TED Talk-like in its presentation, is called His Journey Through the Amazon. And one of the things he talked about is how Amazon deploys changes to its service. Mm -hmm. And Amazon is a service that processes – like the volume of transactions Amazon processes is beyond comprehension. So, for example, given that any change they make – no matter how small, has the potential to impact the company by millions and millions of dollars in revenue, Mm -hmm. that before they deploy a feature, they will select a date and time, they will select a customer segment, perhaps a random sampling or maybe a specific customer target, and they will deploy the feature to the service for 30 seconds. (laughs) And in that 30 seconds, they will have accumulated enough data to know precisely how that change to the service will affect their bottom line. They (laughs) analyze the data, and then they go back and they do it again before they actually roll it out (laughs) system-wide. And Google, too, operates this way. There was a a gentleman by the name of Doug Bowman. He he raised somewhat of a stink, I guess this was maybe five years ago. I can't remember. But he was recruited by Google as the lead designer. And it it was a big get for Google. And um, a year or two later, he left the service, and he talked about, as a designer working for Google, was a very challenging process because design was not driven by aesthetics or design intent. It was driven by by numbers and engineers. And so he would say, like, I want to make this change, and then they would test it. And that's great that they would test it. But every design decision was driven by math. It was mm-hmm. never driven by the design process, if you will. This is very different than a company like Apple, you know, where you've got uh, Johnny Ives and, and at one point uh, Steve Jobs saying, 
you're not testing anything. <laughs> this is the way it's going to be. And then we'll tell people that that's, they're going to like it, mm-hmm. which is the absolute flip-flop of that you know, model, design model. Yeah. Right. I was talking to someone this week, and they, they said, um, God, this is, I'm trying to remember. But they were, they were commenting on the difference between Steve Jobs and Larry and Sergey. And they said that Larry and Sergey, especially when it comes to the process of recruiting people, and to their own kind of what are the kind of qualities they look for in a good employee is Larry and Sergey looked for people who were always looking to the future. They wanted people who had a long view of technology. Mm-hmm. What is this? If you're going to work on this technology, what is this technology going to be like five years from now? Whereas Steve Jobs and, and, and really the Apple culture in general focused more on the here and now. Like, what is possible today? How can we mm-hmm. affect today in a meaningful way? If that statement is true, and I have no reason to believe it's not, that the roots of that or the seeds of either being forward-looking or being focused on the present, the types of products that produces. Well, you see, in the past, Apple wasn't the first MP3 player. They aren't the first smartphone. They aren't, they aren't the firsts. They're the ones that went... Yeah, you're right. That is a great idea, but it sucks. Let's take that idea and make it amazing. I mean, the phone, I had a, quote, smartphone before an Apple phone, and it was a shit show. (laughs) And then the Apple phone came out, the iPhone came out, and then everything after that changed because we all got our hands on a damn iPhone, and we went, oh, that's what it should be like. Or, or an MP3 player. The reason why the iPod worked is because they built an ecosystem. I don't know if you guys remember uh, MP3 players beforehand. Getting a song onto the machine was, you had to be a hacker. Yeah, You could not do it. And they just said, oh, you know, you plug it in and you just pay us money. And it just get it's just on there. <laughs> Don't yeah. don't worry about it. We own all the music. Just hit 99 cents, 99 cents, and then they're all on there. <laughs> yep. There was this great moment in time when Apple and Google were, and this was, this was when Steve was still alive, were going at it. And they were arguing, I think, about Flash. I forgot this is during the, 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 the great Flash debate of the last, you know, whenever that happened. And Google made this great, opened a letter talking about the difference between Apple and Google. And Google said, you know, the great thing about what, about Google is that it's open. And what makes it a superior product platform is that it's open. And Apple is closed. And right. this is very much the geek view of the world. This is the open source versus closed source argument. And if you read the letter, it echoes all of those same sentiments. And Steve mm-hmm. Jobs wrote a response. <laughs> and his response was brilliant. Because he says it's not about open versus closed. It's about integrated versus disintegrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that captures it perfectly. Like the ecosystem you talk about, it's about, and he always said this, right? It's about how software and hardware works together. Right. And, you know, you. Th- but, yeah. but here's an example of what we, what we might be saying is 
it's great that we have both these type of companies, one that looks to the future and says, hey, what if we do this weird thing where it's digital music and you can just put it all in your pocket and then they make this goofball looking thing and then the next company comes along like Apple or maybe another company and says, you're right, that is a good idea, but <laughs> we're focused on today and we know how to make what people like today and we're going to take your product and like just knock it out of the park. But it kind of takes both those companies, one to kind of trudge through and discover it, and the other one to refine it. There it doesn't seem to be a company that does both. <laughs> yeah, and might also explain why Apple failed at the Newton, right? Yeah, because they tried it first. <laughs> right. All right, we beat that. I think we, a... yeah, we've covered that pretty well. That's, that was a really cool discussion. <laughs> um, I was just going to throw out a quickie question, which may extend for however many minutes, but uh, what have you been playing lately? Um, Bernie, are you still playing uh, Battlefront, or have you moved on to anything else? Or oh, I'm still all about Battlefront, and um, now the really? scuttle. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm so in it. It's hard. I mean, I can't uh, look. I mean, I'm gonna. Mich- Michelle is listening to this right now, and she's going like, "Yay, Battlefront!" Um, yeah, I just it does not lose my attention. Now, what I did play, and I can't. Remember, I don't think we just came up recently, but I did finish playing Uncharted Four. Right. That, I'm, itch, I'm itching. <laughs> that is an extraordinary game. So I just played the game straight through. I was obsessed with it. Like as soon as the kids were in bed, I was downstairs playing. <laughs> and when I finished the game, it throws up all these stats at you. And one of the stats is how many hours you spent playing the game. And my <laughs> jaw dropped. I think I spent, I want to say like I spent like 96 hours playing the game or 80 hours. Uncharted? <laughs> Uncharted. It was an extraordinary amount of time. I thought it was like a 15-hour game. Well, I played... All the the stars hidden on the... Yeah, you spent... Yes! So, yes, yes. So, there's so much about this game that sucks you in. This game is so immersive. Like, I was constantly awestruck by how big the worlds are, how detailed the worlds are, how authentic the environments felt. So, like, Here's a good example. There's one chapter in which the two protagonists are going through an old house. Like, imagine a mansion on a hill. And they break into the house. This entire house is free to explore. I mean, think of like a house like uh, Versailles. Maybe not big as Versailles, but like a 20, 30-room mansion. Giant Mm -hmm. house. Filled with archaeological artifacts. Filled with books. You can interact and explore every single room. But after hmm. seeing how many hours I played, my, my first thought was um, <laughs> Netflix shouldn't be worried about Apple or HBO or Amazon. If the direction of video games, if Uncharted is in any way a... You should be afraid of Naughty Dog. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like they should, they should be worried about EA because this thing... I wasn't watching TV. I was sucked into this world, and I, I I can't wait to play it again. Like it really is an extraordinary piece well, of. I mean, they've been and, saying that since PlayStation, right? I work in the television industry, and they've been battling alternative entertainment since. And when they mean alternative entertainment, they mean the, either the internet or video games or both since the PlayStation came out. Really, now I don't know if because. These are becoming more like more and more like entire seasons of a television show that you're really getting. Maybe you're getting that same satisfaction. You're like, oh, well, I don't need a TV series. I'm playing Uncharted. It feels like I'm in a TV show. 
Maybe they should be, you know. Maybe that is the big change. There are a few technical things about the game that I was really surprised by. One was the seamlessness, which which they shifted between gameplay and cutscene. Normally, and I thought you that really was good this. in the old ones. It hurts even better now. It is. Now, keep in mind, Aaron, I actually am new to video games. I know that sounds crazy. I played a lot of PC games growing up. Mm-hmm. And then I had kids. Right. And I, um, I, I know. And, and somehow, for some reason, I stopped playing <laughs> video games. Then my wife got me a PS4 in December for my birthday. I've been playing Battlefront. I've only played a couple games. So I haven't played any of the Uncharted games. Like, for me, in many respects, I feel like I'm playing games for the first time. Well, you can get an Uncharted pack for the PlayStation 4. And let me tell you, all the Uncharted games are incredible. And then if you can somehow get The Last of Us on the PlayStation 4, get that. All done by the same company. They All the games will blow your mind. I, I'm on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm the Last it. of Us is one of those games I just... Every scene just, like, it just blew me away. I mean, the guys at Naughty Dog, just, they are on a different level of video game making. They just are. You you, you can play that game and then uh, put it down and, and open another game, and you feel like you've gone back in time. Like, oh, there's a health bar. There's a map on the screen. Like, really? There's a radar? Like, Naughty Dog doesn't need to do that in their games. Like, I get all the information without that. Or, oh... You know, you have to put a health meter on there. Oh, gee, Naughty Dog doesn't have to do that. You 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 feel like people haven't like they should all just turn to Naughty Dog and say, "How do we make a modern video game?" <laughs> right. There are close-ups of characters' faces, and all you see is a character, not the character talking. Sometimes you see the character who is listening, and the realism, how close they are, to, they're able to get to true video is amazing on youtube they have some behind the scenes stuff and you can see they have full uh motion capture now including facial capture and all that so motion capture is like the very beginning of that stuff those digital artists do a lot of work to make those emotions look like emotions you can't just throw andy circus on there and win an academy award let me tell you it takes hundreds of dudes working their ass off to make andy circus look that good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of people don't believe that they think Andy Serkis just you know winks at the camera and then you know the ape looks amazing but I'm telling you it does not work that way <laughs> um, back in college I was an intern at Pixar um, and the person I worked for his name was Steve Upstill and he left Pixar not long afterwards and he went to Wedded Digital and mm-hmm. I ran into him he was visiting the states and I ran into him at a party and I asked him so what are you working on he's like I'm working on Lord of the Rings and I was like get out and it's like, so what's what's your thing? He's like, well, I'm doing Gollum's eyes. Yeah. And that's it. That's all he did. Just Gollum's hey, eyes. I did, uh, for EA Games, I did um, a trailer years ago for the Godfather video game for the E3 conference. They didn't really have the game entirely made, and we, we were doing this full 360 booth. And so we had a, a special effects company kind of fake this 3D Godfather 3D stuff. And we had one person who, her job was to animate the cuffs of all the clothing, you know, because there's no cloth. There wasn't real cloth. It's digital. And when you move the character's arms, and we did motion capture, the cloth looks stiff 
you have to hand animate the cloth on the the edges of the arms and, and that's her job she does that all day that's and so amazing. there's a yeah yeah cuffs she's oh yeah she's she's great at cuffs i'm like okay and she was she's a total badass on cuffs i mean it <laughs> stuff looked like real cloth afterwards but i was like it you know this takes a team of people to make that stuff look good crazy crazy well speaking of team of people um all you have to do is watch the end credits of any uh modern day tentpole movie and you'll see uh, screens worth of effects houses going by it's just amazing just to think how many people are working on just one element of you know a particular movie it's yeah i mean we're talking about civil war and you know if you look at that you have to wait for the end of the movie to see one last little mini you know mini scene at the end you're looking at a good six minutes of uh (laughs) credits yeah all right so speaking of civil war so captain america movie it's been uh out for a while now it's been very well received so this is going to be a spoiler yes, this bonanza, is super right? spoiler this is yeah nothing will be left off uh, the table everybody's had time to see the damn movie yeah except for michelle which is why she's not participating tonight oh my god <laughs> sorry so just to set the table for this so at the beginning of this spring we were talking earlier on this podcast, and one of the questions posed was, there's a couple movies coming out. Which ones are you looking forward to? And at the time, there was the Batman versus Superman movie, and there was Civil War. And universally, we were sort of like, meh, about the Superman movie. At the time, I, I said, I was, I was very much looking forward to Captain America. However, the whole concept of the Civil War storyline, I wasn't as into for a couple reasons. One of them just being that I just... Uh, like I said before, I don't really care as much for the storylines where the heroes are always fighting against each other. I just like sometimes a good dark versus light type of thing. And not that I don't mind nuance, but um, this one just seemed, at least in concept, to be something that I don't know if they could pull off well. So mm-hmm. now it's out. So before we get into... So you lowered, you lowered the bar for yourself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Yeah. So does anyone have any general thoughts before we dig into specific talking points. Well, I'll I'll just say that first of all, I didn't like the first Captain American movie. Well, I didn't like the fir- last half of the first Captain America movie. I just fake Nazis and a and the bad guy. It just fell apart for me. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem to have really a point to it. But I have to say out of all of these Marvel movies, I have liked at least 2 and 3. I have liked the fact that it seems that Captain America movies have uh, something to say as opposed to just picking a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like there's a point to be made, uh, whether it's done poorly or not, I guess we can debate that, but they seem to have this ongoing thing about power, like abuse of power. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a theme in this, these Captain America movies. They've tried to make that theme in the Avengers movies, but they keep flip flopping on it. And I, I'm not sure what they're really saying, <laughs> but Captain America movies seem to be consistent. Maybe that's the sign of the times that a true American is is uh, looking out for corrupt politicians and agencies within America. I think that mm. is something that maybe wouldn't have been written about 50 years ago. But it seems to be the topic now. And this was the same thing in this movie. It's really about abuse of power. Mm. And the bad guy is secondary. Yeah. 
just like the second movie that you have uh, the Winter Soldier shows up and you're like, okay, uh, the real bad guy is the fact that there's a government agency that's got flying battleships all over the world. And you're like, wait a minute, is this a good idea? Yeah. This doesn't seem like a really good idea to have an agency with flying battleships hovering over every city. Mm-hmm. Uh, with weapons that can, you know, annihilate entire armies. Oh, and then they have a group of superheroes who can, you know, split the earth in half on their side, too. <laughs> That's at least a political statement, or at least a statement in general for a movie to wrap their, you know, their script around. They did that with this one. That's why I like these movies. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the bad guy. Yeah, I would agree with in that. Fact, I think that's a great a great analysis of that. I think the bad guys are kind of the lame part. The, the bad guys storylines in both of them are you're like, okay, good plan, I guess. <laughs> you're, I guess, an evil genius, I guess. Uh, yeah, my my sense. I'm, I'm going to take a very different kind of tact on this and not attack one of the primary themes of the, of the movie, but really kind of comment on Marvel as a franchise. My basic review of the movie could be summed up by. Uh, this statement. Wait, wait. Who, who's this guy? <laughs> like, there were, there were so many characters mm-hmm. that they introduced, and it increasingly depends upon you having seen other movies for you to have any contextual understanding of what you're watching, right? Like, yes, I loved Ant Man. Ant Man was a really funny film. Like, that was a great kind of standalone film and a great way to introduce the character into the universe but then there at some point i can't even remember the actor's name but you see him and i'm like i'm sitting there snapping my fingers going wait 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 who is this guy who is this guy and i did that every time someone would walk into frame i'm like wait oh my god like who is this guy like i can't keep track of all of this and my son who had, who has never seen a marvel movie he had a great time his review was much simpler his review was like there were curse words and a lot of fighting it was awesome that was yeah. that was really his re- review of the film, um, but he said the same thing. He's like, I didn't couldn't follow half of what was going on, yeah. and that's what's tough for the so for the franchise. Like these films are going to be increasingly inaccessible to new viewers right. because well, of the dependency. Okay, I think what we're seeing is obviously there, this is a new type of filmmaking, which is episodic films. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. we're essentially watching the next. $300 million episode of a TV show. And this is a new thing. I, I've always said that I like, when these Marvel movies started, I was like, okay, they're good. But the more I watch, the more I like the Marvel movies as a whole than I like the Marvel movie that I'm watching at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a new thing. And it doesn't seem to be hurting them. <laughs> yeah. So no, if it is becoming more acce- uh, inaccessible, uh, it's hard to like make that case when it comes to ticket sales. Right. Right. And I think I think what we're seeing is is really the comic bookness of yeah. Marvel seeping into into Hollywood, right? Because you can't. Well, you can, but you can't just pick up you know the latest Spider-Man number six. Like you, you really need You're to. Right. You got to start with number one. And you'll work your way through. And every comic book follows the same formula of, like, it picks up where the last one left off. It's going to resolve some a single plot point, And then it's going to leave you with a cliffhanger. 
And if you look yeah. at every Marvel movie, like you wait till the end of the credits, you know, wait till the end of the credits because why? There's going to be a two minute scene in which they're going to totally set up the next comic in the series. Yeah. Well, you know, the joke is that every Marvel movie is just an ad for the next Marvel movie. Um, <laughs> I know that the producers, <laughs> I know the pr- producers have heard this. In fact, they have even said that out loud. They said, we've, we've heard that. And we partially agree. They said that they want to start changing the tone of that a bit in the upcoming movies. For example, they say that Doctor Strange will feel very different than the other ones because they wanted it to feel like its own movie and not just an ad for the next movie. Yeah. We'll see if they can do that. I don't know if they have the the strength to do that. Yeah. Well, that was my kind of concern going into this one was the Captain America being of the Marvel movies. I've enjoyed those movies near the top. And I was mm-hmm. very concerned when I saw a year ago blog posts about the roll call of the number of people that would be in this movie. And it just concerned me greatly because it seems like Avengers 2.5 more than a Captain America movie. I much would have preferred that it would have been more like Winter Soldier, the movie where it's Captain America and maybe two other guys or gals. And Okay. I actually thought they did a great job of showing a epic battle between all of our superheroes. Yeah. Because, A, I could track what was going on. Essentially, there was one battle scene, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it was. I could track what was going on, which is, that's hard to do. I mean, just with that many people. Okay, fine. They had a great editor and uh, storyboard artist. But what they did was they balanced the reason why I'm just picking on the scene because it was the also the tone of the movie. They did a interesting balance of having these people be against each other, but not wanting to like kill each other. Some of this was a little weak, but they both had an opinion they strongly felt. But it wasn't like you know it wasn't like evil villain super villain type of you know a stance on a subject. It was like how should we approach the same thing? We we all of us want to save the world. We all want to be heroes, but there's two ways of doing it. And so they wanted to, quote, stop each other, but they didn't want to, like, destroy each other. Mm -hmm. So you could feel that when they were talking to each other. And then when they came to battle, there was a safeness to the fight. You felt great. We get to see all their superpowers the beam, the guy that's shooting beams out of his eyes happened to hit the superhero who can take the beam. You know, you're not going to shoot a beam at the guy who sh- fires arrows because you're just going to blast them to pieces. <laughs> you shoot at the beam at the guy who can absorb beams. And then Spider-Man can web you and you'll be safe. There was a – it was a fun battle knowing that everyone will be safe. And I thought that balance was done very well. I was worried that you're just – like Batman versus Superman, you just didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. You thought, wait a minute – these are two heroes that are, they aren't trying to like stop each other from, you know, from doing some trivial thing. They're trying to freaking kill each other. You didn't really buy yeah. that. Yeah. The one time Tony really goes off and wants to actually kill somebody at the end, they've, they spent enough time and invested enough plot wise to make it believable that he would want to actually kill the guy and, and uh, then right. go against cap. So yeah, I agree with that. I, I just think that overall just, I agree that obviously that airport scene was amazing, but along with everything else, it was just 
a little overstuffed with characters overall. And uh, my son saw it too. And, you know, I always ask him, you know, how'd you like it? How's it rank with the other ones? His his comment was, you know, he liked it, but he felt like it was just setting up all the other movies that are coming down the pike, like, you know, the Black Panther movie. And, you know, because this actually is officially the start of phase three. So it's not inaccurate to say that, yeah, it is setting everything up because it, it is. It's so funny you mentioned that because now I'm, I'm going to connect it to like comic book men, right? Because I'm not a big comic book person. But it's yeah, great when you, when, you, when you watch comic book men, like the people who really know comics will go like, Green Lantern number 62 is my favorite. That's the first comic in which this character appears. And this idea, right, of these films being now the launching vehicle for these new characters. And, and again, these movies becoming more and more like comics themselves, comic books themselves, I think is fascinating, right? Because you'll remember Black Panther. When Black Panther came on the screen, yeah. well, this is, the audience This is season one, or, I'm sorry, this is season three of the movie Marvel TV show, <laughs> like Aaron was saying. And so that was the premiere episode, and... You know, it introduced some couple new characters, and my just one regret is that uh, it had to be a Captain America movie because I, and believe me, they they did their their part to make Captain um, America be the focus, and it was his dilemma and his personal goal to protect uh, the guy that was his friend when he was a kid. And but still, if you look at, if I'd be curious to like outline between this and say the first Avengers movie, and you know. That movie split up all the different characters. Tony Stark had, you know, probably a lion's share of the roles in that one. But even in this movie, there was like a whole chunk of time when Tony goes to visit uh, Peter Parker. Or Tony goes to, you know, it, it still was very much a movie where Captain America was the star, but not by any huge margin of a lot more screen time than anybody else. I went back and watched the first two Captain America movies after this because the last time i had seen it was in the theaters Mm -hmm. and so well i went i went back and watched them and i realized that if you watch the three in sequence they make a lot more sense together because when you really see all three it's not a story about captain america right it's a story about captain america and bucky right yeah and i had completely forgotten that Mm. so when i watched the movie kind of cold having not having that kind of context fresh in my mind i'm like who's bucky and why does he care so much about this guy (laughs) like what the hell but going back Mm -hmm. and seeing the three it makes so much sense as a trilogy Mm -hmm. i just felt like like this worked better as a as a team movie than like the last avengers and maybe what you're saying maybe part of that is because I truly believe a movie needs a focus mm-hmm. hero. And the first Avengers probably worked because you're right. It really was kind of like Tony Stark centric. Yep. And that works for me. I know that having 12 equal heroes is not, that's just messy. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was a lot of political stuff going on in the making of Avengers movies, Maybe this is the way to have an Avengers movies, name it Captain America, <laughs> have the focus, and then yeah, and then just work them in. I'm worried about the next Avengers movie because I can just see the writer going in like, well, I mean, how many pages does yeah. you know, the Hulk have? I mean, how many pages does Scarlett Johansson have? Right. I mean, how many pages? You know, that's a concern. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? This is a Black Widow 
focus story yeah. and they're there to back her up. Yeah. And everyone go, yeah, and not that, everybody yeah. get all worked up, yeah. you know? I, I think the concern for the screenwriter of, of the next Avengers movie is how are they going to up the ante? Because Avengers movies have to be huge in terms of scope. They have to be in terms of how the, who they're fighting on the fight scenes themselves. I mean, the last one they were, you know, fighting legions of, uh, the Ultron machines and the whole city's up in the sky and, and yeah, how are they going to, so I think what you, they do need to do what you suggest, which is make it more personal, make it a, yeah, make it about black widow and have her be the focus or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just saw teenage mutant Ninja turtles, which don't go see, but, um, <laughs> It's a kids' cartoon movie. It's literally a, a Saturday morning cartoon. They've just decided to go all kids with it. But they have essentially the same stupid plot as the first Avengers movie. And uh, they keep trying to make these mega mega villains that have lots of baddies so that heroes have targets to destroy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not buying it. <laughs> Having a super villain make a deal with a worse super villain to come to Earth and blow it up for no good reason... You has to be one of the worst <laughs> plots you can possibly think of. A, for the original supervillain who's supposed to be smart, why would you make a deal with a more powerful uber supervillain to come to Earth to destroy it? You think he's going to like give you the reins of the planet afterwards? Uh, it just doesn't make any damn sense. they got to stop with that type of stuff. The bad guy in... Captain America, even though I didn't quite buy his super plan, mm-hmm. which is the, the way to turn them against each other, what I liked was that at least if I squint my eyes, I could see him wanting the plan. Like, I could see his point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's a revenge. It's simple. Revenge. I hate these guys. And the only way I, I'm not strong enough to defeat them, so I'm going to try to pit themselves against each other. Now, the way he did it was a little doofy, but at least I got it. Yeah. I want them to start concentrating on the bad guys and coming up with some plots and some motivations that I can get behind that I would understand where the bad guy is coming from. I'm not a big fan of the X-Men movies, but the one thing I do understand about those X-Men movies is I understand the plight of the villains mm-hmm. to the point where I'm almost on board with them. And that's a super successful villain to me. If you can go, yeah damn it, those guys are getting screwed and I understand where they're coming from because that just makes them real to me. Yeah. Now, the way they do it is usually where you go from good guy to bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mutants that are getting um, persecuted, that's not a good thing, especially if there are heroes. Right. And so here's a group of, of guys that, you know what? Screw you. You know, Mutants are going to take over and uh, we're going to stop this shaming of mutants, but we're going to do it by, you know, destroying you. <laughs> that where you go eh he's going too far yeah yeah i agree 100 percent about the the bad guys and i think that's the biggest problem that marvel has right now is um they have literally a dozen heroes and no bad guys the good guys basically have no one to fight but each other and they've done that now as i think about it in at least three movies avengers one uh they get hawkeye to join the other team avengers two scarlet witch jinxes some of the guys and uh, Hulk goes rogue. Um, in this mm. in this movie, obviously, um, everyone's fighting against each other. I think they have got a, a villain problem, and they aren't helping themselves because every movie they set somebody up to be a, a bad guy, and either they completely get rid of them, like 
you know, in Captain America 1, Red Skull just goes away. Or they end up being just uh, a ruse, like in Iron Man 3. The Mandarin turns out to be just a ruse. And even this movie, they set up Crossbones to be a nemesis from the last movie. They kill him off in the first scene. And mm-hmm. they hint at a squad of super soldiers at the end. And again, just kill them off off screen. You know, obviously that was not the, the focus of what the movie was, but... I would have had the closing scene be one of those uh, tanks at the Siberian Center. You notice that somebody yeah, made it out, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or someone just beep, beep. one of the beep, one of the two tanks are empty, or just one guy actually kind of you know opens his eyes. They set up over many many movies this long going story of all the heroes, but they haven't spent the time creating a running subplot of a alter evil supergroup getting together over all of these movies. And I think that's a chance that they've missed. They have bad organizing skills. That's why. <laughs> bad, bad guys notoriously cannot Right, well, they're together. loners. Yeah, they're loners. True. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just wish that they... Um, they... It's funny they do that in the X-Men, though. Well, the, like even, a team of bad guys. Well, even that, it's like the bad guys in this last movie, so Apocalypse, I was a huge X-Men comics reader in the 90s, so... That was like my high school, college-ish age and, well, more college. But um, the X-Men universe has plenty of bad guys. And this movie, Apocalypse, is the main big bad. And sure, he's truly evil. But who does he bring on to be his horseman? Uh, Angel, Storm, Magneto, which, you know, he flips all around all the time. Good guy to bad guy, whatever. And I don't know. Who's the fourth one? I don't know. But... The point is, it's like they, they have a whole inventory, a whole stable of bad guys to choose from. And they basically just pick a bunch of guys that are normally on the good guy side. Um, so it's, and yes, in the comics, Angel becomes Dark Angel and goes back and forth. But whatever. It's, the point is that I don't know why they, they're reluctant on the X-Men side and the Avengers Marvel Universe, Cinematic Universe side to just create some bad guys. And are they afraid that people will uh, not empathize with them enough i mean the only one that stuck around is loki and he was he was really really cool and you know he kind of got a a little bit played out and they wisely yeah i'm done i'm done with i'm done with him but they you know he served a good purpose for a couple movies you know and i don't know why they can't thanos thanos is coming hold your hold on to your butts people oh yeah the guy at the end of the credits every movie is coming for you They should really – they should devote an entire movie about a bad guy. Like take all the good guys out of the movie mm-hmm. and tell the bad guy's story. I like this idea, especially with this new episodic idea. You, you know, If you're going to set yourself up for the next mega movie, make one of them the bad guy movie. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Make him sympathetic. I like it. Um, when I think back at like some of my favorite ones, and this is all just about how you – it's the Genesis stories – the Genesis stories talk often about the genesis of the superhero, but also the supervillain. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the genesis of the Joker is always fascinating to me. And the various portrayals of uh, I've seen in, in my life, right? Like Jack Nicholson, I think, did an amazing job. And Heath Ledger did an amazing job with that. And seeing those villains born made those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much with the Green Goblin. That not so much but when you can really tell that story of these two characters kind of growing up and at opposite lex Luthor is another good example although um 
not enough time is ever spent with Lex Luthor, at least in trying to think in, in the original Superman, if you really get to know the genesis mm. of Lex Luthor. He's already a supervillain by the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not but really. anyway, but not really. Speaking of Green Goblin, uh, his nemesis, uh, Spider-Man, I completely forgot when I was watching this movie that Spider-Man was going to be in it. I don't know how I did. Maybe it's because I just tend to avoid spoilers. I mean, I knew he was in it, but I, I tend to avoid like watching trailers and stuff. So I, at the beginning, was like, oh, this is pretty good. I liked the actor quite a bit and uh, thought yeah. it was a different take. Uh, the part that I started to lose interest and uh, approval of was when they're actually having that fight scene and maybe I'm just old, <laughs> but his little, the quip started to wear on me. And secondly, I thought he was way too skilled as a fighter after having only six months of his power fighting probably just street thugs to be taking on the freaking Avengers. I just, I thought he was just way too powerful. He's freaking Spider-Man. Yeah, he's Spider-Man. He's Spider-Man, dude. Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, well, he's, yeah, okay. He's Spider-Boy. <laughs> well, here's, here's okay, the other okay, thing. Okay, if you're gonna if you're going to pick on that, then who's going to pick on Hawkeye? Because he has no business in that crew. Let's all just put it out there. Because well, a guy with arrows, with okay, the Hulk uh, you know and what? Iron Man, no. A couple months ago, I was saying that I was really not sure about the direction that some of the heroes, superheroes were taking with some of these weird powers, like Scarlet Witch, her intricate little arm and finger movements kind of were didn't make sense in a world with like a guy like Thor who had just a hammer and... Captain America with his shield, and it just seemed like they were getting kind of esoteric with some of the powers, and I wasn't sure about that. I'm walking that back. I am sick of these battles where pretty much everyone just punches each other, kicks each other, spins around, locks their legs around someone's neck, and people just wail on each other and pound on each other. Well, welcome and, and to melee. comic books. No, the, there's there. How many times is Batman going to knock that snot out of Joker over and over and over? Well, no, the, all he does they punch have, him. There's powers, and there's the thing I have to say about Hawkeye. He actually used a ranged attack. <laughs> like he actually used some some cool gadgets um, sure. with his arrows to like you know drop the cars on Iron Man and. Simple things like that where it's something other than, okay, how can we stage a fight with uh, this guy punching that guy and then that guy punching that guy? I I think the stunt coordinators are really like pulling their hair out trying to figure out, all right, how can we stage this one? Okay, he's going to be really strong and he's going to fight this other guy. And they're all, all they can do to each other is basically – Punch and kick each other. Um, well, you don't want to. You don't want to like a like an old school, you know, American Revolution where everyone's lined up in two rows and they just start beaming each other. No, no, across, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but, but like just again to cross over to uh, X Men universe, you've got people like Cyclops who has beams that come out of his eyes, and you've got Storm who can like do. So there's just. More variety than I'm, I guess. I just want more variety. I don't want more variety than people. There are only so many holes in in someone's body that can shoot beams of things out of, right? Like <laughs> you got eyes, <laughs> you got the mouth, wrists. Well, there's you know there's limitless amounts of ideas for powers that people can have. There was so many cool mutants in the X Men comic books that had different powers. Even in the very first scene, when uh, Crossbone shows up and he had some line like, "Oh, I'm not like that anymore," and I'm like, "Okay, ooh, what do they do to him? What what is it that they? Just, he has a power. Oh, well, he's just like everybody else. He's stronger. He can take a punch more, and he's got super strength. 
whoopie doo. <laughs> half the half the cast has that. So I don't know. I um. All right now you're getting picky. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just before we end things, I just want to do a shout out because I'm sure they're listening. Uh, the person who did the makeup to the vision is a rock star because that dude looked freaking cool. Oh yeah. And that makeup job is flawless. I mean, the guy looked perfect. Yeah. Well, there had to be some digital uh, enhancement of that because if you looked at his eyes, like his, like his, the pupil, not the pupils, but the, uh, the corneas, those were computerized. I agree. That perfect skin. I don't know what was going on there, but it was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Vision's cool. I like Vision. He 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 does stuff. You got Scarlet Witch doing stuff. You yeah. got Spidey doing stuff. You got a guy who shrinks down and yeah. crawls See, into I'm, people. I'm, that's what I'm saying. I need more of that. I need more of that. I'm, okay. I, I was I was I wasn't sure about it before, but now I definitely need need more of that. So right. I, I kind of stepped on the whole Spider Man thing. So did, what did you guys think of Spider Man? I thought it was fun. We all know that the reins now go to Spider Man. Iron Man. We've seen the last of Iron Man. They're just not going to make. Robert Downey Jr. movies anymore. And Spider-Man's the biggest guy. He's bigger than Iron Man. I mean, people actually know who Spider-Man is before the movie came out. There was a lot of people who didn't know who Iron Man was. So they got him back, and you know that this was a big deal to them to introduce their next like heavy hitter, the guy that they're going to hang Marvel movies off of. Hopefully they did. I mean, the intro was fun. He seemed, I like the fact that he's a kid. You know, finally we get like a great high school student. So I'm looking forward to it. I actually liked his banter. It felt very, I like the fact they even mentioned it. Like, hey kid, you know, you're not supposed to talk so much in the middle of fighting. <laughs> he's like, oh, sorry. Yeah. You know, but that's just Spider-Man. Spider-Man just won't shut the fuck up when he's right. beating you up. Right. Right. The casting for that was fantastic. Tom Holland nailed that role and it was all the banter and it and it did make me feel old and that's exactly what it was supposed to do is he's sitting there going like what was the the ice planet in that star wars movie with the things that walk on four late and you're like oh my god he's talking about empire. oh my god he doesn't know empire strikes back and i'm sitting there going like oh yes because he wasn't born yet and i was like oh jesus but they did they did such a great job with him and the actor and the writing for him was spot on what was great about that scene, the, the Star Wars scene, there was, for me, there was like a geek betrayal that felt good because, you know, Peter Parker is a total geek. He's a nerd. And, and so you would hope that he knew what Star Wars was. But he's also in high school. Right. So he would be, he's just a different type of nerd. And I, I was like, oh, you're right. He's, he is a nerd. He's just different generation nerd. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. Yeah. How do you feel about the sort of story closure of the Agent Carter character? How she dies off in this movie, and because Burn, you saw the um, all three in a row, right? So, or you watched them recently? Did you feel like that arc had its proper send off? Or well, I'll comment on my experience having seeing it when I did, which was before I rewatched everything, and in that context. Actually, screw it. In, in any context, no. Mm-hmm. The answer to your question is no. Yeah. She was really prominent in the first and second movie. First movie, um, you know, absolutely. Um, second movie, yes, but I'm, I'm not 100%. Uh, I can't remember exactly because it was just playing in the background. Mm-hmm. So, 
but I understand how important she is to that character, and I understand to the kind of Avengers universe, right? Because they tried to launch an Agent Carter Netflix show, or was it on? Um, it was on ABC. ABC. On ABC. And that it was great. Getting... It was. It was great. So never, never saw it, but it got canceled, and um, so I, I appreciate that she's important to the to the franchise, but um, no, um, I, I really didn't get a sense that. She got a proper send off given her relative importance to the character. I wish they would have given it a, a bigger beat in the movie. Uh, it just so happens that I saw that movie the week that Agent Carter was canceled, <laughs> that we found out that it wasn't getting a third season. And so when I saw it, I was like, I feel like that they were talking about the series more than the character dying. Like mm-hmm. I felt like what made me more emotional was that, Oh, I guess I'm never going to see that character again. Yeah. Because I actually, I love the first season. It's way better than agents of shield, which I do not like. The actress is freaking great. And it's a shame that people didn't watch it. Yeah. Uh, the second season was pretty good. It wasn't as good as the first season, but I was pretty bummed about that being canceled. So when I saw that scene, I felt more like I was just thinking about the show being canceled more than her Mm. character dying. So it was emotional. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I always had this hope that they would revisit Steve Rogers being able in some way, because it is a comic book movie, to go back and be with his sort of first crush, Agent Carter. The way I thought they might be able to do it was in Ant-Man when he shrinks to that quantum level and like he's going through different weird states and he sees like there's a one literally one frame where he sees someone it's the shape of a like a woman blink pass and I think it's Michael Douglas wife character probably or whatever. Oh, old wasp. The old wasp, right. But I was like, well that's a way for them to manipulate some sort of timey thing to in the future, you know, mm-hmm. to bring them back together, because I just thought the way they set that up in the first movie was perfect, the Captain America movie. And but there was something, mm-hmm. there was something sad about the second movie, seeing her the way she was, and you know, there was that closeness, but now that's the separation of yeah. age. Right. Like she was an old lady who had moved on; she yeah. had children, yeah. she had a husband probably, and a whole life, yeah. and. I truly believe that writers should stick to the pain of the characters. Like when you kill somebody off, just keep them dead. Yeah. Don't bring Agent Coulson back. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't work. Right. You, you're, you're cheapening your, your story. Yeah. And that I think maybe if we did revisit it and we gave them a chance to circumvent what they built in the second movie, maybe mm-hmm. it would have cheapened it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a valid point. I think her, having her her life did allow there to be a pain inside yeah. Steve Rogers. At the same time, I thought it could also have been a way to completely make it obvious. It's like, like she's old, you know, she's had a life. There's no way that he's going to be getting a chance of a life with her. So, oh, by the way, here's her niece. <laughs> and I don't know, that that was the one part. That's the part that, yeah. that weird me it out, too, yeah. to be honest yeah. with you. I was like, oh, so you're going to like bang around with it, your niece? That's just, yeah. something's just not entirely right yeah. there. I just, yeah. From the very first movie, I, w- I was like, damn, I just, that's, that's the one thing that I wish that they wouldn't have had been able to, uh, like when you watch any 
film or read a book and there's always some character event that happens. You're like, man, I wish this would happen. Well, but that's great. Yeah. Like you wish that they could have the moment. That's the pain. Yeah. It's just funny that in a Marvel movie, that's the, that's the one thing that's, that it is. And they pretty much punt on everything else. Everything else. Characters that die, but that don't. And yeah. That, that to me was, I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but you don't kill off Ripley in the second movie and bring her back in the third movie. It's just not a good idea. Right. Hallelujah. Or, Hallelujah. Sorry, you don't, or you don't kill her off in the, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's you don't, let, let's list them off. All right. <laughs> you don't kill off the hound and bring him back. Maybe you kill Jon Snow. I'll give him Jon Snow. But you don't kill the Hound and bring him back. Oh, did I just do a spoiler on Game of Thrones? I did. Oh, I'm going to kill well, you. you may have to cut that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I totally agree. Like, And I'm going to, okay, I'm going there with Game of Thrones. Oh, boy. There has to be finality in death, right? The, the mm-hmm. fact that characters can die mm-hmm. is what makes those moments dramatic. Because if you never believe that a good guy can die, then where's the tension in any kind of fight scene? Right. Okay. Any final thoughts on um, Captain America? Nope. I liked it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. For all that I've said, I, I did enjoy it. I just, I felt there were, you know, that, that's what I do. I, I nitpick. <laughs> and, you know, I could have gone on a big rant about how I thought the uh, the whole, the UN Accord was really silly i thought just yeah, I, it's thin. I will I'll, i will just say i thought the scene where the secretary of defense or whatever his name wherever he was goes in and has on the big screen it's like all their purported uh sins that they've had where oh here's new mm-hmm. york click and and here's that town in eastern europe click and here's wherever they were in the central america click and they're all sitting there with their sad faces mm. it's like well hello dumbass what was happening in new york there was some you know, alien invasion going on. And, and oh, by the way, you were planning to nuke New York. So that would have been a bit of a bit of cleanup, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, no, wait a minute. But no, he had a point. Loki would have never showed up without those guys there. Ultron would have never showed up without those guys there. This is all hero created messes. I don't uh, agree with that. Why would Loki show up to Earth? Loki? It's because the damn superheroes keep dragging these guys in. If an Infinity Stone is on Earth, it doesn't matter if there's superheroes there. He's going to go try and get it. And if there aren't heroes to stop him, they would have... Loki would have just grabbed that thing and bolted out of there. No, because Loki wanted to rule something. That was the deal, remember? Going back to the whole deal making between the two big bads. It was uh, Loki's Mm -hmm. deal was, I get to rule this planet in exchange for me handing you this... This uh, this object, cubey thing, the cubey yeah, thing. Yeah, See, so all right, you're right. All right. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah. So any for all that said, you know, it was it was enjoyable. Um, but again, it was more in Avengers two point five to me. But that said, still better than Ultron. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you both for joining tonight. Uh, and this wasn't this wasn't a big gripe session. Does this sound positive? Was this episode positive enough? Um, I. Th- <laughs> I think so. It, or does that matter? It it just tends to, yeah, yeah. I think okay. it was about average. What do you think, Bern? It was. Uh, no, this was good. This was good. It was thoughtful. Yeah, it was a thoughtful conversation. Yeah, I, uh, I have to be critical because um, it's to counteract my tendency to like everything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'm always the negative one. Everyone complains that I was always too picky when I was doing my Battlestar Galactica recaps. So, um, but that's just you know I gotta you know 
I got to keep it you real. Have a bad attitude. Bring a little edge. No, you were you were an important foil. <laughs> yes. To 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 the crew because the right. crew, you know, were just total, you know, fans yeah. and they liked everything. So you needed someone yeah, to dial it back. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, exactly. Explosion. Keep it real. Yeah. Gotta keep it. Gotta real. keep it real. Okay. Well, thanks again. Uh, you can find us on the web at uh, gotgecorum dot com and uh, geekcorum dot com and our email gcorum at gmail.com. Uh, you can tell when it's late on the East Coast because I, I can no longer do our contact information. I'm, I, I, I'm just falling over my words. Um, yeah. So well, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, great time. do you want to plug anything? Do you want to do any, do you have any uh, Twitter or anything you want to, you want to um, plug? Yeah. Your... If you look up on iTunes geeks on podcast, it's now finally up there. And then we're also on Facebook right now. So if you want to listen to more podcasts where we talk about geeky stuff, yeah. Give us a uh, look up. Yep. I start, I just started listening because uh, Brian was telling me about it last week. And uh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. People should check yeah, it out. Fun. And I will do the social media mention. So listeners, listeners, don't forget, right? If you listen to us on iTunes or however you listen to us, like us, write a review, rate us. We like the feedback, but it also helps other people find us. So if you yeah. want to share this with your friends and family, please do. We really would love to kind of build our community of listeners and get more people on the show. So like us, favorite us, whatever it is you do on on the on the snap face or the or the or the book twit <laughs> or whatever it is that people are doing today, just do it. Yes. Do it. Yeah, I mean, people don't ask for money for doing these things. So uh, simple payment, like a, a share, uh, helps out. It's like putting 25 cents in the machine. Yeah. You just click share. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the jump clock is running, which means our time is running out. So thanks again for joining us. Until next time, everyone. Thanks and bye-bye. So say we all. Indeed. Good night. Good night. Next time on the Geek Quorum. My son is here, too. He, I think, wants to give a 30-second review of Civil War. Did you want to say something? Did you Panda say... Temi. You have... So, okay. You can't You can't speak in fourth graders. You've got to speak no, like I've an got, adult. Because no, our audience... Our grades. audience are not fourth graders. Okay, like our audience um, are kids at heart, but not actually kids. <laughs> well... Well, maybe they're kids, too. I, I have no idea or any of our stats. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe we publish and a, a million first graders around the world, you know, cry out in glee. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, all of oh, all of all of your that? son's class basically all subscribe. That's for the right. <laughs> That's our only audience. Oh no! Listener is a listener. That all counts as a <laughs> counts as a unique. <laughs>